Well, first off this morning, I'd like to just say thank you to everyone here and to the congregation and to the search committee and the staff here at First Covenant for um, investing in me over the last nine months as an intern. And then also having uh, the opportunity to stand before you here this morning and this weekend to be a candidate uh, to be able to be a pastor and to serve this congregation. So I can tell you that um, I am humbly honored to be here this morning with you. So thank you very much for this opportunity. And this morning, what I would like to talk to you about is a war, battles. You see, these are words that can cause our hearts to skip a beat. It can cause mothers and fathers to tremble in fear of their sons and daughters having to go and fight. And of course, the risk of losing a loved one as they stand up for something that they believe in. That can fill all of us in this room with fear and cause us to lose the very breath that fills our lungs. These words have the ability to reside in the pockets of everybody's worst fears. In fact, Brock Chisholm, a Canadian psychologist or psychiatrist who lived from 1896 to 1971, once said that no one wins a war. It's true. There are degrees of loss, but no one wins. Now, of course, Mr. Chisholm was speaking of a fleshly war, the kind where men and women bring guns and bombs and tanks to the battlefields to destroy the enemy, a physical enemy. But the battle that I speak of today is not of this world. It is of a realm that you and I cannot see. And I invite you now to open up your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. The Word of God tells us through the works of the Apostle Paul, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In most of chapter 6, Paul is reminding the church at Ephesus to be spiritually strong. He's reminding them that their defensive armor, as well as their offensive weapons, are both spiritual. He is reminding them that the true enemy that they face is a spiritual enemy. Did you know that as citizens of the kingdom of God, that we are at battle? As mentioned earlier, this can be frightening. It can come with a great cloud of intimidation. We often think that if we come to church on Sundays, if we send our children to Sunday school or Wednesday night activities, all will be well, that our homes will be secure, that we will sleep peacefully at night, and that our families will be on the right track. But my friends, I'm here to tell you that there is more. So what are we struggling for? What is this battle that I speak of today that is standing before us? Just as Paul stated, this is a battle not against flesh and blood. It is not against something that we can see. It's not a battle for land. It's not a battle for money or other physical resources that we can just touch or simply reach out and grab with our hands. It is for something that will never disappear. It is for something that lives on and on after we take our last breath here on earth. This battle is for souls. The late Charles Spurgeon once stated, Consider how precious the soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. And we must remember this with the very fact of evidence that lies before us. And that is that God himself cared so much for your soul that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, so that he, God our Father, could spend eternity with you and I. 
Now, just as any great battle that rests in the books of history has a name or a title, so does this one. And today we call it evangelism and discipleship. And this battle has a great importance within the eyes of God. So important that Jesus himself, right before he ascended to heaven and to be with our father, commanded us to go forth and engage in building his kingdom. The draft for this battle is known as the Great Commission. In the 28th chapter of Matthew, in verses 18 through 20, Jesus Christ states, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How important this command be if Jesus himself, right before he went to heaven to sit at the right hand of God, gave this final commandment. It was his last statement to his disciples. Often when we leave family or close friends or we hang up the phone after talking to our spouse or our children, what do we say? We say, I love you. We want them to know that we love them. And we put emphasis on that statement. It's the last thing they hear us say or hear us say so that it can echo throughout their minds throughout the rest of the day or until we get to see or speak to them again. We put a special emphasis on that statement. And here we see Jesus Christ, our Savior, leaving his disciples, his closest friends, with this commandment. To go to the ends of the earth, baptizing and making disciples of all men and women of all the nations. Now, when I was just a little kid, I remember singing songs at the beginning of Sunday school every week. And of course, I, I, just like you, I had a favorite song. Oftentimes, our teacher would even take requests at the beginning of class as she sat behind the piano. And my hand would rise just straight up as soon as she began to say that she was taking requests that Sunday morning. It was so enthusiastic that my favorite song started to, you could probably see it blast through my fingertips. And you know the position that I'm talking about, especially if you are a teacher. One hand up, but then this hand goes behind the head and you support it like this to wave. I had a special request. And the song that I would always request would be, I'm in the Lord's Army. Now, some here today may remember that song. You may even remember the lyrics to it. It goes, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never zoom over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's Army. And of course, it had actions that go with it, but I'm going to spare you from watching me do that this morning. But this army that I speak of is not built of tanks and guns and physical warfare but of spiritual realms. Our place in heaven and with the Almighty God is secured as soon as we confess our faith in Jesus Christ. But we still have a job to do while we're here on earth. We are employed by Jesus Christ himself. And our commission is not of gold or of dollar bills, but in souls. Now, this is no easy task, and this can very well be intimidating because when we tell people of Jesus Christ and we spill out our testimony and speak of eternity, let's face it, we leave ourselves very vulnerable. We put ourselves on the front lines, wide open. But here's the key. We may not have a General Washington or a General Eisenhower in our corner, but we have something and someone greater. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, sometimes we can forget this. And we doubt ourselves. 
Sometimes we may even not want to help someone come to Christ. They may be someone we don't care for or someone we may even consider our worst enemy. But God has spoken to us before this situation. And this came to the world before we even knew who Jesus Christ was. This can be found in the book of Jonah. Now, the book of Jonah is only four chapters long. But God makes his point in this book in a most direct method. That's all he really needed. We have all heard and read the story of Jonah and the large fish. I mean, let's face it, it's one of the most thrilling events that's recorded within the Bible. The scripture tells us that the word of the Lord came unto Jonah and told him to go to the land of Nineveh and preach judgment to its people. Now, Nineveh was a very wicked city, a godless city that had more than 120,000 souls within its city limits. It was a very materialistic place. And God had the intentions of destroying this large city. But God told Jonah that he wanted him to go to Nineveh and preach to the people to repent of their evil ways. But Jonah didn't want to. Now, I can tell you this right here this morning, that every Christian that walks this earth is called to a ministry and to evangelize and to build disciples for Jesus Christ. Yes, you are called. When I attended Sterling College, we were taught about service. And how the word ministry meant to serve. They even have a statue on campus to remind us as we walk into the union every day or to get our meals in the cafeteria. Our Lord Jesus Christ was sent here to serve. And he reminds us of this many times throughout scripture, especially in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 and Mark 10, 45. Jesus Christ came to serve. And every person who surrenders their life to Christ is called to serve. We are called to serve God. We are called to serve Jesus Christ. We are called to serve our fellow man. Jonah was called by God to do just this, but Jonah refused to do so. Now, serving God is no easy task. I think we all can admit that. We often pray in the mornings or at night when we lay our head down to go to sleep. God, I will go wherever you tell me to go. I will do whatever you tell me to do. And we surrender. But then when that task comes before us or when he calls us to a new place, we can become hesitant. Because it is not easy. You see, Jonah had a long trip ahead of him to go to do what God had requested him to do. The journey was over rough terrain. It had many possible dangers lying within it. There were there could be wild animals. There would be thieves that just could line up the trail that he was taking to get there. For them just ready to to attack him, to take advantage of him, to rob him, to beat him. And that pathway that he had to take, which was so dangerous, just led him to a bunch of sinners. And people who would most likely ignore him, possibly even kill him. So Jonah began to run. He tried to run from the presence of God, which can be very foolish. So he got on a boat that he hoped would take him to the shores of a place called Tarshish. And I can tell you this, that I had a seminary professor, and his name is Dr. Moody. And when I was discussing my call of becoming a minister to him, and the struggles that presented itself when I first started ministry, and how it took me forever to surrender to go to seminary, he reminded me that when you try to run from God and his will, Satan will always have a way for you to do so. 
He will always have an escape route ready for you with all the supplies you need in order to run from God. And the way may look easy at first, but after a while, there will be a struggle. The storm will present itself. Nobody who has ever walked this earth has ever had lasting peace and promise while running from the Lord. And as expected, a storm came up while Jonah was resting on that ship. And everyone began to pray, who has sinned and angered God? And Jonah woke up and he confessed to the men that were on that boat that it was him. And he said, throw me overboard. And so the men did so. And immediately after Jonah hit the waters, the sea rested. And we all know what happened next. Jonah was swallowed up by a very large fish. And during those three days that Jonah was in the belly of the fish, I'm sure that he was terrified and prayed to God for forgiveness. I know that that's what I would do if I was in that situation. You see, God had called Jonah to believe in him. But then he called Jonah for his service and asked him to preach his truth to others who needed to hear it. But Jonah refused it. And as we know, Jonah was released from the fish on the third day, and he took the word of the Lord to the people of Nineveh. Today, we can look back on that moment in history and see that it was one of the most successful moments in evangelism in the history of the world. They repented, and God decided not to destroy that community. Now, Jonah didn't want to help or serve those people. It would be hard. It would be dangerous. It put him on the front lines and made him vulnerable. But with his second chance, he preached to them about the one true God. And when he preached to them, he spoke of judgment, not mercy, not grace, not a loving God who gave his only son for the forgiveness of sins. And remember this, that this was during the Old Testament days. There was still a large amount of time between the days of Jonah and when Jesus Christ would be the ultimate sacrifice and be laid upon the cross and die for the forgiveness of our sins. And with that in mind, we have something else to remember as well. And that is that we have something in our spiritual artillery that Jonah never had. The ability to preach about a God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy. Thanks to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus himself recalled the people of Nineveh in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. The Son of God stated, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater. The people of Nineveh repented and turned to God without, without even hearing about Jesus Christ. But we... Believers of today in Jesus Christ have something greater to mention to those who we are preaching to. And that, of course, is it's him, Jesus Christ. Now, of course, Jonah didn't want to preach to the people of Nineveh. He didn't want to see them repent or turn to God. And God reminded Jonah about this towards the end of chapter four. He told Jonah how he must have just been worrying about himself, how he must have cared more about him, number one. And how he looked with anger and judgment on the people of Nineveh. And as I mentioned earlier, when we go out and evangelize, when we step up to the front lines and open ourselves up to non-believers and even our enemies, we become vulnerable. 
We may care at that moment more about our personal status, how others view us as being dependent on a being that we cannot see or touch right now at this moment. We may rely on materialistic things and be more concerned about those things that someday will be gone forever. But my friends, the soul, the soul lives on. We may get mocked at, we may get laughed at, we may get abused mentally, emotionally, and maybe even physically. But I am here to remind you of just this. That I am told and have been taught many times that the Bible reminds us to fear not at least 365 times. It reminds us that God is with us and that he will not desert us. Every time my wife and I hang up the phone after a conversation, before we hit that little red dot on our smartphones to end the call, we say something to each other. I love you. And as I held the hand of my grandmother in the early morning hours of November 21st, 2006, as she took her last breath here on earth, I told her something that I wanted to make sure that she heard. I love you. She was one of the most faithful women that women that I had ever known. And even on her deathbed, seeing her faith, seeing her courage, she was evangelizing still and building a disciple within myself to grow closer to God. Let us not forget that the last thing that Christ told his disciples before ascending to heaven was to go and tell others about him and his love and what he can do for everyone, how he can bring peace and promise to their lives and a guaranteed victory. Now, if you've been paying attention to this sermon, you will notice that I have not referred to what we're up against today as a war. That's because the war has been won. It was thousands of years ago when Christ shed his blood upon the cross and rose three days later. But there is a battle that still rages on today, the battle for souls. And it is up to us to listen to God and spread his word to wherever possible. It could be to another nation. It could be to another family or friends or family and friends of our own. It could be at your place of employment. It could be to your neighbor. It could even be to your worst enemy. And the last statement from Christ echoes its importance, just as we tell a loved one how much we care for them before hanging up the phone or saying goodbye. There's great importance on evangelism and discipleship. And Christ's timing of his final commandment solidifies just how important it is. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When Christ spoke to the people about the kingdom of God, he would minister to crowds. He would minister to small groups. He would minister to individuals. Sometimes they would come to him, but mostly he would go to them. He would find them and meet them where they were at in their lives and tell them about himself and just who God is and what he has to offer. He put himself in front of them. Yes, he put himself on the front lines. But no matter who he was ministering to, he would reach them on a personal note. He would connect to their hearts, not judging, not worrying about his personal status or belongings. He focused on that person during that time and their relationship with God our Father. 
He provided an example for us to follow. The perfect example. To not waste an opportunity to serve others as we serve God and to meet those that the Lord puts before us where they are at. We're all a work in progress. If we have come to Christ, then we have yet another step to take. And that is to be disciples and to spread the good news of our Lord and our Savior, following the commandment that he gave us all. Go, go and make more disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to follow his commandments. And remember that he himself, Jesus Christ, is always with us, just as he promised. And when we set aside our pride and our fears and rely on Jesus Christ, those front lines become less intimidating. And we can prove Brock Chisholm wrong. Because in the battle of this war, someone does win. And his name is Jesus Christ. Now I ask you, are you ready for battle? Because we may never march in the infantry. Ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. We may never zoom over the enemy, but we're in the Lord's army. Remember that someday this all will be gone. These walls, these doors, our homes, our cars, our careers, and yes, even our social status. But the soul lives on. And never has there ever been something as precious and as dear as the human soul. And Father, we thank you so much for this great commandment. That we may have courage and confidence that you are always with us, protecting us, as we go out and proclaim your truth and who you are. Telling others about the promise and mercy and grace that you give us that is made possible by the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us rely on you and follow your guidance to bring others to you, no matter what the consequence may be. Put them before us and us before them, Lord, so that we may be an instrument that helps bring them to you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And Father, we love you. Amen.